It was uh, Sunday, August the 8th, 2021. 30 years, seven months, four days, and one hour and 40 minutes. That, my beloved, blessed sister. It has now been three months and 13 days that I've had to learn. To learn how to walk and live life without him. One day at a time that we try to live without the one who was the center of our family in a sense. I was crying out to the Lord one day and I said, Lord, I wanted to fulfill the vow of till death do us part. I wanted to live until my last breath with her. I, I wanted to enjoy her and, and be loved by her and to love her. I wanted to do that. And the Lord gave me two words in that instant. He said, she did. She did. At that moment, I realized everything that I was asking for and everything that I wanted, Michelle lived. Michelle was able to complete her life having been loved and loving one man and children and living a life that she fulfilled that vow till death do us part. I still wanted to have my pity part in it, but Lord, I meant me. I wanted the one to be death do us part. I wanted to be the one who could live my days out with her. Well, I came across this poem during these last months that I want to share with you the basis of this message. It's from J.R. Miller. I believe we have it up here. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word she said. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. In my current walk with sorrow, I've learned much. Much of what I share with you, in a sense, was maybe not learned, but was more solidified. And the importance of that has been solidified during this time that I feel that it is something I want to share with y'all. You see, when we come close to death or when close, death comes close to us, there's a time of, of paying attention to the things that we really value. And, and we begin to question, what do we really value? It's in the proximity of death brushing against us that we begin to, in a sense, take stock and begin to evaluate where we are in life, what we have in life, and what we really want in life. Many who have had near-death experiences have returned from that or who have lost a loved one take stock and they change their entire trajectory of their lives, realizing that that which they've been investing in was futile. They change jobs, perhaps. They change careers. They, they, they begin to alter their course in their life because that they realize their own mortality. If anything, this loss has solidified some things even more in my spirit than ever before. I want to share with you some of those things that I've learned as I've walked with sorrow. Now, talk to me in a year, and I'll probably have even more lessons. These are just a few. Uh, we have a limited time. <laughs> but I wanted to share with you these top four that I feel I wanted to pass on to you. The first one is, this is not our home. 
Now, that's a fundamental thing that all of us need to learn, need to understand. It's a fundamental thing in Christianity that, that you understand this is not your home. However, during this time of walking with sorrow, this has been greatly impacted in my life and solidified much more. I've even preached the message, and maybe you've heard it here, living in the light of eternity. That those who have so much focus on eternity end up changing this world because they have focused so much on eternity. How we view eternity, even as we worship today, as we focus and surrender on the eternal, that which is beyond our grasp perhaps right now, the more we are able to change the world we're in and even our situation. See, so many things during this time have become so trivial to us. So many things have become just meaningless. Those things that we have put so much importance in before are really just meaningless, mundane. Why do we even bother with that? Now, in the midst of grief, sometimes there is things that we ought to be doing, like taking a shower <laughs> that you sometimes don't even care to do. You need to eat. That doesn't even feel like you want to do. But some of the stuff that we have bit and laid importance upon have become so meaningless, superfluous, empty. Eternity has come close to me, and I realize many of the stuff that once drew my attention away no longer draw my attention away. Sorrow has solidified in me the reality that we are sojourners and pilgrims on this earth. We read in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He goes on that if we continue to, to be these type of pilgrims in this attitude, we will bring glory to God before the people that we minister to. We are sojourners and pilgrims just passing through this world. In Hebrews 11:13 he talks about the faithful and he says these all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. If anything has become more clear to me as I've walked with sorrow it is this reality this is not our home. Our destination, our treasure, that which we bestow our worship upon is not here. You see, Michelle had it really good down here. I mean, she was married to me. Come on. She had it really good. A husband who loved her, kids who honored her, associates and friends that respected her, a dog that absolutely adored her. Yet, that was not enough. 
She was also a missionary. She traveled the world. She went to far destinations. She spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. She spoke to people who'd never heard the gospel and was able to share with them. She impacted women and men and children all around the world. Only that by now we're learning from all the stories that are coming in of how she touched lives. Yet that was not enough. She was living the American dream, the beautiful home. We even have a pool in the back. We remodeled the kitchen and remodeled the bathroom. I mean, she was to all intents and purposes living the American dream and living the Christian dream. Married for over 30 years, being loved. She was envied by many as having a dream life almost. Yet, that was not enough. You see, Michelle longed for more than what this world had to offer. As much as I loved her, it was not enough. As much as her children loved her, it was not enough. No amount of trips, trinkets, or treats that this world could offer was enough for her. To borrow the line from a James Bond movie, this world is not enough. The world is not enough. Why? Why is this world not enough? Because Michelle hungered and thirsted for something more than that this world could ever offer her. I think of the C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Nothing in this world could satisfy Michelle. She knew that. She knew that. There must be more. And she knew that there was more. She knew that this life was a vapor and that this world was not her home. As I walked with sorrow, this statement that this is not our home has been increasingly solidified more and more. This is not your home. This is not the final say. Second thing that I've really come to appreciate and solidify as I walked with sorrow is that it is the worst of times, in the worst of times, that we need the best theology. Pastor Aaron Law of Grace Covenant Church, homeschooler, a lot of homeschool families in that church and he preached on August 8th, the day Michelle passed, and he shared with the congregation the news as it was announced here, and he said this statement in his sermon that it is in the worst of times that we need the best theology, and I have found it rather disturbing that through this crisis and loss, many people who have come to share their sympathy and their condolences with my daughters and my son and I lack genuine, authentic, biblically-based theology regarding death and the afterlife. Well-meaning intentions, they say things that are absolutely left field or even occultic or even movie drama, if you know what I mean, that theology comes from the movies. People would come up and say things like, Michelle is now an angel. She's earned her wings. 
Michelle is looking down on you. Michelle is watching over you. Michelle sees you and the girls and John Cobb, and she is proud of you. Michelle is, not, uh, uh, Michelle is now waiting for you up there. Take comfort in knowing that you will be with her once again. You have that to look forward to. I'm praying for you and Michelle. Now, I was introduced by Pastor Jody as one of the elders of this church. So in that office, Pastor, may I have the opportunity to correct some of this theology. It is my calling upon my life that has not changed in this tragedy, that I am to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that, to teach and bring forth some theology. That next time perhaps some tragedy happens to you and you lose a loved one or you're ministering to someone who has lost a loved one, you can provide true comfort from what the scriptures say, not from what Hollywood or some type of wonderful life movie provides for you. As I begin this second point, I cannot help but give to you some wise wisdom from a 15-year-old theologian. My daughter Alyssa, who in her speech at Michelle's celebration wrote these words. Death is a disconnection of communication. My mother isn't here. She isn't out shopping or in the kitchen cooking dinner. She isn't in her office filing taxes. She isn't in the ground nor the sky, no matter how many argue that she is in one or the other or both. She isn't anywhere here. She is somewhere that we cannot fathom until our day comes to go home. She is in a greater, holy, unfathomable, and indescribable place now. See, that unfathomable and indescribable place is often referred to as heaven. But heaven is not defined by our loved ones being there or by some, some activity or hobby or joy that we enjoy here. You've heard it said that heaven is golf without green fees. Heaven is chocolate without the calories. See, that is all to put things in this earth. But the unfathomable and the undescribable is beyond our perception. We are so earthbound that we have feet of clay. That we think our pleasures are to be gathered from this earth. It is not harps, wings, or sitting on clouds. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction to everything that our spirit, our soul, even our very being craves and longs for. Jesus is what Michelle longed for. It is what I longed for. You see, I looked forward to heaven long before Michelle beat me there. And I'm eager to get to heaven, not because Michelle is there, but because the one who died for me, that I might have access to the Father's loving embrace for eternity. See, we ought to desire heaven for no other reason than that we will have an unlimited, unfeathered, unfiltered access to God, the creator, and the lover of our souls. That is heaven. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, that which we can see, the natural. Verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from this body is our ushering into the presence of the Lord. Those who have named Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is the destination for us. In Philippians 1.23, Paul says, for I am hard pressed, because he knows this, this, this joy, this ultimate destination. And he says, I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But then he says in verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul speaks in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, there is sorrow. We can testify to that. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. The hope is in Jesus. The hope is our reuniting with God Almighty as it was intended to be in the garden. The reconciliation, the reunification, that is what we're after. That is what we desire. Now, many say, so if they're asleep, how does that work? And if you really want to get into the metaphysical and the transcendental and all that stuff, you think about, to God, a day is but a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day. So those who have fallen asleep, I don't know how all that works out. Perhaps Michelle is still arriving and has been arriving for three months and will continue arriving until I come behind, you come behind, and we all come, and suddenly we're all there at the same. I don't know how all that works. But I do know Jesus said to the thief today, shall be with me in paradise. Our hope is in Christ, not in someone else that we might find in, he to, in heaven when we get there. Heaven is not heaven because Michelle is there for me or my kids. Heaven is not heaven because we'll have some sort of family reunion when we get there and we'll finally see grandpa and grandma and those who have gone before us. You see, remember, nothing in this world can satisfy the longing of the human heart. This includes relationships with other people. Husbands, you cannot look to your wife to fulfill you. And wife, you cannot look to your husband to fulfill you. Your children can't fulfill you. Your career can't can fulfill you. Your education, wealth cannot fulfill you. Your possessions cannot fulfill you. It won't be found in your therapist or your income or your friendships. Nothing can fulfill you in this earth. Remember, fulfillment is only found in a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. All that to say is that Michelle is now in the very presence of the one who she finds her total fulfillment in. Jesus is the only other man that I would allow her to be embraced by. <laughs> there is nothing else she desires to look upon, and that includes my children, even the dog that adored her. There's nothing 
that will attract her or distract her now from beholding the face of the one who loves her. Think of it. Utterly accepted. Utterly loved. Embraced like all of us deep down long to be. She is now in that presence. She has won. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy, I believe Michelle could say the same to us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Michelle is not longing to be with us. She's not looking down, wishing to be with us. If you would, for a moment, think of that theologically. If Michelle is up there in some type of plexiglass observatory, looking down, beating upon that glass to be with her son and her daughters and her husband, think about the misery of that. To love and to adore and to want to be somewhere else. And you cannot get there. To see her daughter now who just turned 18 years old. And the law in our family is you don't date until you're 18. Well, her and a friend have been waiting until she turned 18. And lo and behold, he comes a knocking at my door. And he wants to ask permission to date her. What do you think I did, Pastor? Daniel, Chris, I took him out to the weight room, let him spot me on 225 bench. I let him hold the punching bag while I did some Krav Maga. No, I didn't do that. But we had a visit, and we talked seriously about relationship. How much I would have loved Michelle's wisdom in that conversation. But she's not longing, looking down to be Anywhere else than where she is. Because think about it. If she wanted to be anywhere else, then heaven would be a prison and Jesus would be the warden. Heaven would be hell. If we would want to be anywhere else than where we are. If being in the presence of Jesus is not enough to satisfy every one of us, then heaven would be miserable, and we would all be fools. Why do we want to go to a place to be with a man, a God who cannot fulfill everything we want, that we somehow look over our shoulder back down on earth or wherever that is, and we want to be with the one we loved for 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, the one that we, oh, uh, uh, excuse me, Jesus, let me, you see how silly that theology is. And finally, let me just touch base on Michelle becoming an angel. That would be a demotion. A demotion for the child of God to become an angel. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, the writer says, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. A third of the angels fall God did nothing. Man and a woman in a little garden separate from him, and he plans already from the foundations to send his son to die in their place. 
to take on their unrighteousness and he transfer their righteousness that they may stand once again holy before him and reunite in the relationship he always wanted. That is you and I. Becoming an angel is a demotion. In Romans 8, 16, Paul writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Heirs, we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. See, the image to me that came was that, that uh, when Michelle arrived in heaven, the angels parted and bowed to let the one come to the Father. The son, the daughter of the living God has come home. Make way, make way. She comes. That is the arrival of us as the saints of God, the children of God coming into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. You see, this, this gospel that is so utterly amazing, that's why it's so hard for us to grab or to get our mind around at times. The scripture says that angels are even perplexed by this, that they, they want to look in on it. In 1 Peter Peter writes this, the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. They are perplexed. They are sitting at the edge of their seat going, I, I don't understand how this is happening. What exactly is taking place here? He is, he's dying for them so that they can Reunite with him and be one with him? Angels don't know anything about that. They have no concept of that. No. You see, Michelle is not an angel. That would be a demotion. Michelle is not looking down on us, wanting to be with us. She's not watching over us. Michelle is not distracted by our achievements or our failures. And Michelle does not need our prayers. She is... Fully fulfilled in every which way. Christmas is coming. You have that particular individual who has everything. Like, what do you buy somebody who has it all? Well, what do you pray for for somebody who has everything taken care of? There is no longer any sickness, any tears, any remorse. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no burdens. There's no difficulties. There's none of that. And finally... I am not going to heaven to be reunited with her. I'm going to heaven to be reunited with Jesus. As we all should be looking to be reunited. You can't get what you really want here on earth. It is only found in the presence of Jesus. Sorrow has taught me. That in the worst of times, we need our best theology. Thirdly, I have to say that when I've walked this road of sorrow, and those of you who've walked with sorrow have also learned this, that the body of Christ is real and community is needed during sorrow. You see, it is in the time of sorrow when a brother or sister gets kicked down, when they get... <coughs> 
waylaid, when they're suffering, that the body of Christ comes along and helps to undergird, to helps to, 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 to heal, helps to hug, helps to provide that which they can't do for themselves. It is during this time that the body of Christ really demonstrates they are the body of Christ. It amazes me through this time of the people who have reached out to us. Even recently, someone who used to attend this church and still in contact with us has a neighbor who doesn't even know us. Just contacted me last night and said, hey, my neighbor wants to do something for you again. She did something else, a meal. She wants to provide a, a honey-baked ham for Thanksgiving. Somebody we don't even know. And we said, I told the girls this morning, and I said, hey, you know, I just told her we're going to be out of town. The girl said, well, can she deliver it after Thanksgiving? <laughs> Complete strangers from all over the world have sent finances, have sent cards, have sent love, have sent prayers, undergirding and being the body of Christ. You see, 1 Corinthians says this, And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. For if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. From food to cleaning our house to providing maid service to, to providing shuttle services as we're dealing with only one car and two drivers, from lawn assistance to financial help, the list goes on and on and on how people have undergirded us. If you've been following my Facebook post, it's a place where I somehow just write out some things, <laughs> process. It's a little bit of catharsis, a cleansing, a, a just able to put it out there. And I have posted recently about Tupperware, watering plants, and cleaning kitchens. Those things, those tasks that, that have become so much more difficult when the absence is felt so intensely. I fall apart in those times. And in the falling apart of those times, I realize the body of Christ comes and helps me put myself back together. C.S. Lewis writes in The Grief Observed when he lost his wife, her absence is like the sky spread over everything. From Tupperwares to dirty dishes to laundry, Michelle's presence is everywhere and felt everywhere. When the body of Christ learns to do what Romans 12 teaches us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That is the body of Christ. Weeping is simply listening again and again and again. I find myself or have found myself repeating stories, repeating testimony, repeating what took place, repeating those days of dreadful agony from phone calls and trips to the hospital. And they just keep listening. They don't say, I, I, no, you've already told me this, dude. No. They just listen again and again. No agenda, no correction, just presence. I used to describe grief as as this you're walking on the beach and all of a sudden the wave just comes and collapses you and tumbles you over and you get up and you and you try to walk again and then another wave hits you i was describing this to one of my friends and partners back in kansas who lost her husband he was out working on the suv and a block slipped the suv rolled over him he survived about another day or two and Succumbed to his injuries, left three little kids and a wife. And she said, Mitch, I've heard that analogy 
But what I've learned is that grief is more like you're in the ocean all the time. And there's days when the waves and the, and the white caps completely cover you and you feel like you're drowning. And then there's days it's a little calmer, but you're still in the ocean. Always in that. It is in the midst of that ocean. It is in the midst of the waves that come crashing and you can't hardly breathe and catch your breath. That the body of Christ comes along and says, hey, let me help you with that. Let me take care of that task. Let me do that for you. Let me take care of some kind of homeschool thing that needs to be done with the kids. Let me just come over and watch a movie with you. Let me take you to Top Golf. <laughs> Let me just take you out. It is in the ocean of grief that we need the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of liberty. We discussed in our Bible study in the book of James we're going through. The law of liberty, it is a law of love. It is a freedom of that. When we love one another to an extent that Christ loved us. When we carry one another's burdens, we demonstrate, we fulfill the law of Christ. It is in this fulfilling of the law, it is in loving one another that we demonstrate to the world the true essence of the body of Christ. Jesus said it in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is during these times of crisis that the body of Christ can demonstrate to the world the love of Christ. And they see that you are different. That being part of a church, a fellowship, a group of people who confess Christ as Lord, there is something so powerful, so interdependent, that you're cared for even in the ocean of grief. Sequoia trees, you know them as the big redwoods. My son actually lives among them now in California. We've been there three times to visit with him, and I graduated up there. And these trees are massive trees. The whole family could not reach all their arms around one linked together. But you'd be surprised to know as tall as these trees are, some of the tallest in the world, their roots do not go down very deep. The difference is that they grow so close to each other that their roots interlock with one another. Community among these trees allow them to grow so big and last so long. Interdependency in the body of Christ cannot be underestimated. This relationship in Christ is not an individual life experience. It is an interrelational codependency with God and his people. I have learned that greatly during this time. Many of you in this body have demonstrated that to my family and I. I want to thank you as my first public opportunity to do so. Thank you for all that you've given whether it's finances, prayers, even a comment on Facebook, reaching out to us. We thank you.
and we still need it. The body of Christ is real and community is needed during sorrow. The fourth and last thing that I want to say is that God is still good. Even in the midst of this, God is still good. Let me just simply read with you, read to you what I wrote in the pamphlet that Michelle in her funeral pamphlet that I put together and that Pastor Chris so wonderfully did. Let me just read what I wrote there. The Lord calls us to follow him, and so we do. When the way is easy and prosperous, we rejoice and are glad that we have followed. Yet when the way seems difficult and answers do not come, following is not so easy. Even in these times, the Lord still calls us to trust him, to trust beyond that which we can see, beyond that which we feel. So many questions, not enough answers. Trust does not come from knowing all the answers to all the questions, nor should it. Trust must be based on character. Do I believe God to be a good God? An infinite spiritual being that truly loves and cares for us humans? Is this, is this not the ultimate question? The ultimate starting place. Veer a little and you will be led astray. Is God good? Yes. Why? Because he has revealed himself to us. There is no other reason other than love that he would cause or would cause such a powerful being to reveal himself to his creation. He could have stayed away and watched us from a distance. Watched us and our sinful cravings, animalistic nature consume one another like a pet. He could have watched us. Yet he chose access. He chose access. Access to himself, not out of some lack or need on his part, but out of love. He desires to share his nature, his character, even his glory with his creation. All this from a passionate desire to love. So it is not answers that he provides, but access. Access to a benevolent creator who out of love made a way for us to know him. Not simply know about him but know him. His greatest desire is not our comfort, peace, or happiness on this earth. His greatest desire is reunion, restoration, and reconciliation with him, regardless of the circumstances we face. Michelle is the beneficiary of the grace and mercy that was given at the cross. She has been granted access to the Holy of Holies and the throne of heaven. With the culmination of being face to face with the Lord God Almighty. This is only possible through the veil that is her Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Though we mourn our loss, Michelle has no loss. Only gain. I can tell you firsthand experience and knowledge in this tragedy that God is still good. It was on that Sunday morning, August 8th, that we rewatched, or later, that Pastor Daniel preached the message here. Uh, I believe you entitled it, Do You Talk to Yourself? Out of Psalm 42. This was a psalm that I thought I would preach on this time. And it was difficult to prepare. 
And also to know that Pastor Daniel did such a good job on that, on that day of August 8th. Thank you, brother. The refrain of the passage three times repeated in Psalm 42 and 43 that Daniel hit on was, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You see, the psalmist was in such great grief and distress, but yet he placed his hope in God. He knew that it was only one person, one being, one entity that would help his countenance, his appearance, his face, his demeanor, his emotions. And it was his God whom he worshipped and followed. Psalm 42, verse 3, very personal to me. My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? And many of you may have asked that question, maybe not directly to me, but you've asked that question, where is God in the midst of this? We had 17 nations, possibly a thousand people praying round the clock while Michelle was on the ventilator. Where was your God during that time? We expect things from God. That would bless us, please us, fix the problem for us. And yes, God comes through sometimes. And other times, things don't work out the way we want them to. And the question you may ask, the question we may ask is, where is God in all this? And I keep coming back to the reality, God does not owe us answers. He has given us himself. So that which I do not understand, that which I question, that which I weep over and cry over, that which I have difficulty embracing, I trust in God, who is my hope. In Psalm 42, verse 6, the psalmist continues, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore... Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill, my rock. Now, we look at those two and we think, what, that's, it's okay, you remember him from, I don't understand that. Hermon was the mighty hill. It is the highest point in elevation in the land of Israel. It is strategic even to this day. It is the, land of Her, uh, is the land of Jordan where Hermon is even the headwaters of the great Jordan River. It is here the beginnings, they, they snow-capped mountains that provide luscious water for all that is down below. This is the mighty strength of Israel exhibited in a mountain. Happy times, joyous times on that mountain. And then the hill Mizar, unknown. <laughs> Scholars have argued as to exactly what that is. Perhaps it's a mound at the foot of Hermon. They, they don't even know where this little unknown mound of dirt actually is. But yet the psalmist here says, I will remember when I was on the mountaintop and the beautiful scenery and that which was awesome in the Mount Hermon. But I will also remember the little insignificant, nameless mount of dirt that I have been in. Speaks to our grief 
as Job would say, do we only trust him when he gives us good? Though he slay me, I will yet praise him. Though he take everything from me, I will still remember him. The psalmist finalizes this in Psalm 7. And he says, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Sounds very much like that ocean of grief. His waterfalls and his billows, so much intensity, so much pain, so much depth. And we are all too familiar with it in life, are we not? And yet, that deep calls unto deep. It is only when we're willing to take those steps and either force ourselves into the depths or accept that we are in the depths of emotional trauma, grief, whatever we may find ourselves, that we reach out and understand that God is still deeper. Corey Tin Boom in her book, The Hiding Place, Sean, or Jaden and I read it just last year. They were in the concentration camps and her older sister was dying and she looked up at Corey and said these words, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no grief so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Through my tears that have been with me both day and night and will continue, I know that God still is good, that he still loves me and my family. Psalms 42, 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. He addresses that portion. But he also addresses, and in the night his song shall be with me. His song shall be with me. What have I learned as I've walked with sorrow? Who said nothing and yet I learned so much. I've learned that the world is, this world is not our home. It is in the worst of times that we need the best theology. And the body of Christ is real and community is needed during sorrow. And finally, God is still good. 